Alright, welcome back. I um, wanted to uh, continue tonight, which is tricky for me because you all weren't here last week, but some of you were. Uh, but I want to continue tonight's talk uh, that I started last week and didn't really feel like I got a chance to finish. was talking mostly about shame, which, as some people put it, is a cultural epidemic. Mostly we just don't want to talk about it. We certainly don't want to feel it. Perhaps on some level don't want to look at it and just would prefer it would just go away and leave us alone. And that strategy clearly is not effective. And some of the ways in which I spoke about it last week as the Buddha talks about shame and dread, kind of, uh, he calls them the guardians of the world, which I think uh, maybe brought up some confusion or some doubts in your experience if you were here last week because we have such a negative association with this term. And of course the Buddha speaking about his experience 2500 years ago and we live in a much different time in a much different place now so some of the stuff can get lost in translation. So I'm hoping tonight to make a shift or maybe clear some of that up and to see how can we use what the Buddha teaches, how can we use some of these ideas in a way actually that liberates us rather than drives us deeper into it. Because clearly that is the goal of meditation, that is the goal of the Dharma, that is the, the Buddha's teachings that really aim us towards a liberated heart, mind, experience. We really want to be free from suffering. And um, one of the ways I like it is uh, one of the ways that suffering is explained that I've heard from a teacher, uh, a Thai forest teacher named Ajahn Chah, is he says that there's two kinds of suffering and that there's the kind of suffering that leads to more suffering. And then there's also the kind of suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And I think shame is very much that kind of suffering. Is it, is it leading to more suffering, or is it, is, it, is it helping us get out of it, actually? And I, I shared last week, and I'll say this again, is that it was, for me, being in recovery and getting clean and sober, the, the, the factor of mind, or the part of my experience, I think, that drove me into recovery was shame. It wasn't God, it wasn't the grace of God, it wasn't a lot of the stuff that I've heard over the years. It was this terrible feeling of guilt and shame and dread and just really, actually, maybe even self-hatred that put me in a position where I was like, I cannot live like this anymore. I can't do this. And so, to me, the way I see that is that's the type of suffering that leads to the end of it. Because it's so unbearable, it becomes so hell on earth, that it actually makes me change. So 
like, dude, I can't. Enough is enough. And I think anybody who has uh, been through the recovery process, uh, it doesn't matter which type of addiction, uh, but for me it was clearly, it was mostly drugs and alcohol, that it was just, it was, what, it was the suffering of it which is what broke me out of it. And that's a really good thing. If it wasn't for this feeling of shame and dread, I would have, I would have died. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I would have continued to drink and use. And so that's kind of what I talked about in great detail last week is kind of, you know, can we all kind of reflect on our experience and, and kind of say, yeah, I can, I can see how that's true. I can see how some of my suffering actually has been helpful to me because of what it's done is there's, there was an acknowledgement of the pain of it, of the just can't take it anymore of it, that actually is what inspires us or puts us in a place where, where we're willing to do something different. If drugs and alcohol were continued to do what they did to me early on, I certainly would not have stopped. You know? And so I guess I wanted to kind of talk about it in this three ways I think that we can look at shame as a tool or even a vehicle to, to climb out of the suffering that comes from it. And the first is how do we define it? Or what is the, even maybe the intellectual, what is the ways in which that we understand this word in our mind? You know, how, do we, how do we talk about it? What's the definition perhaps is a way to look at it? How, how do we define that word? And that's kind of the first stage. The second stage I find is, how is it expressed in my experience? You know, how does it play out? What is the actual experience of shame when, it's, when I'm faced with it in a present moment experience? What does it feel like in my body? What are some of the stories and some of the thoughts and some of the memories associated with it? And then ultimately, so you know, what's, how, how do I define it? How is it expressed? And what's the antidote? You know, what's the way out? What's the way up and out? And I think with, like with most things, especially in recovery and in dealing with addiction, is we're very interested in the third part. What's the up and out? It's like, well, it's like, yeah, I don't really want to do those first two. <laughs> you know? Because that means I'm going to have to deal with it or face it or talk about it. I'm actually going to have to go into it. You know. One of the things that I often say, one of my least favorite meditation terms, and you'll almost never hear me say it, is just let go. Has anybody ever told you to let go? And you're like, okay, I let go, now what? They're like, it's like, we want to let go before we've let in. You know what I mean? It's like you can't let go of something that you haven't, you can't let it go until you've experienced it. You know, I remember going to interviews with teachers and they would say, oh, to let go, to let go. And I'd be like, well, I let go and fucking nothing happened. <laughs> you know? It's like one, two, it's like, okay, I'm ready to let go of all my shame. It's still here. Right? So it's a, such a, not a very helpful term. And I think one of the things that we have to do, or I have to do, if we're going to talk about shame, is we have to talk about guilt. Because last week, some of the questions that arose, and I didn't talk about guilt, 
But we in the West, or in our current culture, we have these two words kind of, you know, they're like, they're like bullies. They, like, they kind of buddy up on us. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they're, they're very closely related. Sometimes it's important to separate them out and say, well, what is the difference? And I, I was, you know, I think I sent out a link to, to many of you who get my email start there. There was a Brene Brown talk on vulnerability, and she followed up another one on shame. And I think she does a fairly good job of kind of uh, looking at it. And then, you know, does a little bit of antidotal at the end, but I think spends a lot of time talking about it. And the way that she likes it is like, I like the way she breaks it down where she says, you know, Gil is, I, did, I made a mistake. I did something wrong is acknowledging the unskillful acts we've had, acknowledging the mistakes we've made. I, it, so it's more associated with, like, behavior. I did something that was not appropriate or not right or I feel bad about. But shame is, like, I'm wrong, like, the core of me. You know, I'm a mistake. I'm, the, you know, I mean, underneath all of it is just the core of my existence is just awful and bad and wrong. You know, so it's like, and that is not a very useful or pleasant experience to have that feeling that there's something wrong with me or I'm a bad person or there's just, you know, I've done so many bad, I've done, I've engaged in so much bad behavior that I'm just, you know, I'm just like damaged goods now. I'm just, I'm unrepairable. which is a very common attitude and perspective that people suffer from in addiction. And it doesn't matter what addiction. That's a very common theme. And so the Buddha talks about it in a way that I think is, is helpful, in the way that has been helpful to me, is there is a healthy amount of... So maybe I'll make a switch to talk about guilt as maybe having some regret. Those of you who have been in recovery for a little while, maybe have done some amends. And it's kind of like the acknowledging of I did something wrong. And it's not this apologetic bullshit thing. It's like, okay, it's acknowledging I did something wrong. And there's a regret, there's a healthy regret on that. Even in meditation, even the Buddha, it's important actually to, to reflect on our experience and, and to have some level of regret. To say, oh, you know, actually that, was, that wasn't really, I really regret having done that. I'm going to try not to do that again. I don't really want to live that way. It's just something that I want to stop doing. That's, a, that's, that's healthy. And it also helps us make changes. But if we are attached to that and say, oh, I did that, and that was wrong because I'm a bad person and I always do horrible things. That's where that shame kicks in. And we really, uh, that's where the suffering, I think, really lives is in that, you know, part of our experience. I think the most, so there's an expression of it, that that's kind of how it, I feel like it plays out a lot of times. And also, too, one of the things that she talked about that I, I didn't really like so much is this, in, in the way the Buddha talks about it, what drives us, what keeps us from being able to change actually is the hindrance of doubt, self-doubt. You know, and for me it was like, I can't stop drinking, I had a lot of doubt about it. And, and, and the doubt and the shame became such a bad 
kind of habitual pattern because it was like, oh, I, I had a lot of doubt that I could do it. And then it was like I had this feeling that I didn't deserve to be clean. I'm actually just a drug addict and an alcoholic, and that's what drug addicts and alcoholics do. They steal, they manipulate, they use people. That's what I am, and that's what I do because that's what I am. And then it was this doubt of like, well, I can't stop. I'm not going to bother. I can't do it. Uh, in, in doubt, even the Buddha under the Bodhi tree the night of his enlightenment said that that was the thing that was the hardest for him to overcome. That the, uh, oftentimes in, 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 in the stories in the Pali Canon there's a figure called Mara, which is kind of like the devil of the mind, you could say. But really it's kind of that part of our psychological experience. In, in the last things that were visited by the Buddha before he was enlightened was, you can't do it, who do you th- and who do you think you are? you think you are? You're going to be happy and free. You're going to be free from suffering. Who do you think you are? And it was this doubt was the last kind of <coughs> weapon that Mara came at the Buddha with. was just like, you can't do it. Attitude. And I think that that, you know, I like to see that. I see that in my mind a lot of times, even now, years, uh, in, years in recovery, that a lot of times if I really want to do something that really means a lot to me or something that really is something that's important to me. Sometimes that voice is like, you, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not good enough. You know? And it really, it really holds us back. It really holds us back. And so it can kind of get, when you find yourself in, the, in this kind of territory, it's definitely tricky waters. And it's not easy to navigate. It's not easy to... And one of the reasons that makes it so hard, I think, to navigate is the reality of it is actually I hate it. That mostly shame is something that I hate. And that a lot of, you know, the Buddha talks about that we have a tendency to meet unpleasant experience with hatred or aversion. But when it comes to these emotional, these really deep, dangerous, dark, destructive emotions that when I find myself in one, my initial reaction is I just hate it. You ever just hate the way you feel? I hate this. And of course that clearly is not helpful. One of the ways that I think at this stage of the game, at this stage of the conversation, one of the things that we need to start doing, one of the things that's been really helpful to me in these troubled waters is actually developing heart practice meditation. Specifically forgiveness practice. Because forgiveness practice allows me to make a clean break between the actions that I've done and me the actor. And so when we do forgiveness practice, when I teach forgiveness practice, the way it was taught to me was that we want to make a clear distinction between the actions and the actor. So I'm forgiving myself for having caused the harm that I've caused, but I'm, but I'm recognizing that the actions I took were unskillful and unwholesome, and that actually some actions are unforgivable. But we want to forgive the person. We want to forgive ourselves for having done it. And I think that that also plays into the night to, in, in a very clean way of like, you know, 
I'm having the healthy remorse. I'm having the healthy regret. I'm understanding the guilt part of it. And I'm acknowledging that it was unwholesome and that I don't want to live like that anymore. But I'm forgiving myself for having done it because I'm a human being and I make mistakes. And I get confused and I get angry and I get scared. And it's actually none of those things are even my fault. And so I find that that allows me to have a more loving or a more compassionate relationship to shame. What would it be like if I cared about my shame and was more vulnerable with it and was more willing to sit with it and breathe? What does it feel like to breathe it in, to breathe it out? What, what is this feeling? Well, it's this unpleasant feeling accompanied by hatred. Not helpful at all. It's the kind of suffering that leads to more suffering. My friend Vinny, uh, who I'm going to see next week and I'm very excited about, one of my teachers, <laughs> always says you can't hate yourself into being a better person you can't hate your shame away you can try I'm sure you have I know I've tried that's not the right tool you know it doesn't work And so then, you know, that brings me into, you know, she talks about also that I thought was really good that, that what allows shame to thrive, what allows it to grow, what it loves most is silence. Don't talk about it. Secrecy. And judgment. That if I'm not talking, I kind of keep it. It's like this, you know, dark secret that I have kind of locked away in the corner, you know what I mean? It's like, nobody is fucking going in there. I'm not telling anybody about that ever. Ever. Right? I've had stuff like that. And one of the ways that, that I found that that's played out in my experience, and in, in one of the ways that my friend Vinny and I have, or he's been very helpful to me, is that actually what happens is I'm locking myself in there with it. I'm not locking it away so I don't have to deal with it. I'm actually locking myself in my own heart with it. And I become the victim and the perpetrator. Because I, I'm, it, there's a silent, secret, kind of judgmental thing. It's like I hold on to it. Because I want to protect myself from it. But I've locked myself in the room with it. You know? And when we do that, there's no escape. And that's why I think, you know, when, when, she, when Brene Brown talks about it being a, a social epidemic and that it plays out with people with substance abuse and addiction and anxiety and depression and stress, it's because I, I think culturally we actually almost value that secrecy and silence. I remember growing up and some of the messages, some of the things that happened in my family and some of the events that went down, it was just kind of like, don't fucking tell anybody. Right. You know, you got, we all got our dirty little secrets, right? And, and they, they fucking tear us apart. And that's one thing that's so valuable about the 12-step process I found is just things like a four-step. Telling somebody, even if it's only one person, it's like you're kind of... I feel like I'm breathing it out. It's like, 
one of the ways I like to look at meditation is it's all about the breath, right? Breathing in, breathing out. It's like, it's like I've held the breath of shame for so long that it's like I'm just gasping. And then I let a little bit of the breath out. And I'm like, oh, that feels good. That feels good. And she also says one of the words that they usually use in clinical or therapeutic environments is the word empathy. And she says one thing that will starve your shame to death is empathy. In Buddhism and Dharma, we call that compassion, a deep caring for what's hard, an actual caring for. And if you, if you can have some compassion for your shame or some compassion for this process, it will starve to death. And when the Buddha talks about <coughs> shame being a guardian of the world, I think that what he means is that a healthy relationship to, to shame is actually really what he's talking about, that it has to be met and held within a framework of forgiveness and compassion and kindness even and understanding. Because the only way that type of suffering is going to the lead to the end of it is if we are doing, or we're facing it, we're meeting it in this other way. Because I think that we can all reflect and see how easy the experience of shame or guilt or dread can lead to more of the suffering becomes compounded. And then it gets to be so bad, we just kind of want to deny it. We just want to sweep it under the rug. But there's this other way. And it's kind of, you know, inward. That's why, you know, we say against the stream. You know, there's nothing more against the stream than meeting your shame with compassion and forgiveness. Right. That is, that is to me, that is the opposite direction that my mind is telling me to go most of the time. It's like, let's get out of it. It's like, No. It's running from, or even that locking myself up with it feeling, attitude. And this is something also, too, that for most of us, I know for me, it's a long road. This is a long, this is not a weekend workshop, you know. Well, glad that's over with. No more shame. Would be nice. You know, we're so used to getting, you know, drive through. You know, we want the drive through recovery. You know, wouldn't that be sweet? Just go through the drive through. They're like, what do you got? I'm like, alcoholism, drug addiction, <laughs> fucking pull around, get your shit, and down the road you go. Wouldn't that just be awesome? That's what we want, though, right? That's like clearly, like, would be the way to go. You know, it's like you could, you know, just, I just imagine like a, a cartoon where you like roll into a therapist or a counselor's office and you're like, they're like, what do you got? You're like, well, I have some shame. And they're like, well, here you go. Just on your way, like getting a tooth pulled or something, you know, I think that we think of these destructive emotions because the way I, I think of it is it's an unhealthy relationship to it becomes a destructive emotion. <coughs> and I just want to get it pulled out. I just want to. And I think that that's just kind of, you know, the, the unwise way to approach it. Not helpful. And so the Buddha calls them the guardians of the world. Meaning that 
it can be seen, I like to see a lot of the way the Buddha teaches stuff as what, what is causing us suffering or what the suffering of our life is actually can be the vehicle for, the, for what gets us out of it. You know? It's what can be, uh, if we are willing to go there, if we're willing to be with it, if we're willing to talk about it, if we're willing to face it, that, that it's kind of this uh, liberation through grief and sadness and sorrow and liberation through these experiences that are holding us back. And uh, I'm actually going to stop, but I just want to say um, I'm actually going to uh, be in San Diego this weekend um, at an addiction treatment conference talking about what we're doing here in Nashville. Uh, it's becoming a very uh, idea or concept that's becoming nationally recognized in the addiction treatment world. And I'm really excited about it because of the fact that I'm going there to talk about Dharma, I'm going to talk about compassion and forgiveness and against the stream and what we're doing here in Nashville. And I'm not going to just talk about mindfulness, which is what I've been doing for the last several years. Usually, if I get invited to talk or to offer some sort of workshop at some sort of clinical environment, they always want me to talk about mindfulness, which I'm happy to do. But now it's like, I'm very excited that I can actually go and say, yeah, well, you know, mindfulness is important. But I think that when you look at mindfulness as a clinical intervention, which it has clearly become in many different places, that when you deal, when you are using it to work with addiction, and I've been working with addicts for many years, that really what we need more than mindfulness, what I need, what has helped me much more, is self-compassion, kindness towards myself, forgiveness towards myself, compassion towards myself, has been way more fucking helpful to me than just paying attention to the present moment. And I find that if we get these heart practices cooking first, mindfulness becomes way easier. You know? If you could sit in meditation and for the most part your mind was kind and friendly to you, wouldn't you meditate a lot? I would. I do now. I used to hate meditating because it was just all judgment and fear and confusion. I was like, well, I don't need to meditate to do this. I'll just get on with my life. <laughs> I don't need to sit and close my eyes for that you know and so you know I'm really excited that that, uh, that that's going to happen so I'm going to stop there um, if there are any